So I think the takeaway here is that in this market, there's a lot of brand loyalty. And I think we see that in the brands that we've just talked about. And although there's a high degree of brand loyalty, and that might seem to be a challenge for new brands, we also learned that all is not lost for new brands. In the research that we did, more than three in four consumers said they almost, okay, operative word almost, always buy the same brand of feminine hygiene. This varies a a little bit by age with the youngest consumers in their first years being more loyal than those who um, have more experience and have more independence. When we looked across countries, the degree of brand loyalty within the countries varies, but the top three, four brands are really the market leaders, as we just saw. And we heard from women that many are open to new products. Welcome back to part two of our series on the menstrual health market. In our first episode of the series, we had Danielle Kaiser on to share an overview of menstrual health and the menstrual cycle. And now that we're all up to speed on what people who menstruate are dealing with every month, we can learn more about the market itself. How big is the market? And how much more potential is there for growth? Which brands are winning? And in which regions and countries? What are consumers expecting from brands? All of this information is helpful for producers, like you, to understand who your competition is, how they are succeeding, and how you can win in this increasingly competitive market. Luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. I'm your host, Jack Hughes, Global Digital Marketing Manager for Bostic's Disposable Hygiene Business Unit. On today's episode, we'll be starting with a high-level overview of the menstrual health market. We'll discuss the size of the market and how saturated it is, where the opportunities for growth are, who the market leaders are, and we'll touch a little bit on consumer preferences. Joining me today to discuss the feminine care and menstrual health market is Jan O'Regan. Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And as we do with with all of our guests, I'd like to give you a second to introduce yourself and your background in the non-wovens and disposable hygiene industry. Okay, Jack. As Jack has just said, my name is Jan O'Regan. I'm Director of Nonwovens Marketing for Cotton Incorporated, and I have successfully, I, I suppose, been employed for 45 years in the nonwovens industry. I've spent 18 years with Cotton Incorporated, and before that, uh, over 20 years with Freudenberg Nonwovens. I've worked in a wide variety of markets, uh, local, regional, international. And my background has been largely in sales and marketing and strategy development. And I would like now for my colleague, Megan Holliday, to introduce herself because in two weeks, I will be retiring and she will be taking the baton and leading the charge. Go ahead, Megan. Thank you, Jan. I'm, I'm really excited as my career has come full circle in this new role in non-woven marketing. I actually was an intern um, with Cotton Incorporated back in 2008. 
um, before starting my textile career. And I look forward to leveraging you know, my background education from NC State University and professional experience um, to help industry accounts launch new cotton products within this new capacity and this new role. So I'm um, really excited to be joining the podcast with you today, Jack, and you know, looking forward to Jan's talk. So thank you. Thank you, Megan. And thank you, Jan. Jan, just want to, <laughs> I guess, reiterate, I know I've said this, but congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Very excited for you and, and looking forward to continuing the relationship with Cotton Inc. as we work with Megan moving forward. Thank you. All right. Well, you've mentioned Cotton Inc. a couple of times, but I'm not sure everyone in our audience knows exactly what Cotton Inc. does. I, I think they could guess from the name what material you're involved with, but would, wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce Cotton Inc. And, and the work you're doing there. Yeah, happy to do that. So Cotton Incorporated is a private, global, not-for-profit company, and we are dedicated to research and marketing of all aspects of cotton. So we don't make anything, we don't sell anything. We essentially conduct research and that's a wide variety, including economic and technical, agricultural, market research, innovation, sustainability, you name it, but related to cotton. And um, we do this so that we can help educate and share our findings with essentially any company or individual who is interested. So I'd like you all on this podcast to think of Cotton Incorporated and this group of us as cotton consultants. Very good. And is that specific to the United States or do you, do you focus on a, a global audience? Oh, what a great question. We represent cotton everywhere around the world. It doesn't matter how it's grown. It doesn't matter what product it's used in. We represent cotton. And to that end, our headquarters are in Cary, North Carolina, but we also have an office in New York City, Mexico City, Istanbul, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and then we have agents elsewhere around the world to um, be able to support users of cotton and producers, growers of cotton as well around the world. Thanks for asking. Of course, truly a global company then. So as we have with a couple of other guests, I wanted to mention and, and give credit to you, Jan and, and Cotton. I, met, I saw your presentation at Hygienics. I was able to see the slides from, from your presentation, though I wasn't able to attend in person. And I very much liked what I read and wanted to talk to you about it further and wanted to uh, bring you on the, the podcast to discuss it. So thank you again for being willing to share that and for joining me today to, to discuss your presentation and your findings. Thank you. I'll start by just, I did mention that we do all kinds of research and that Megan and I work in the non-woven markets to find places where cotton can bring value. And then we, we do the research to substantiate that. In the case of the presentation at Hygienics, that presentation was an update to understand the global market for feminine hygiene, the status of it, where it's going, and then what the opportunities are for this evolving market. So essentially, what we did is to explore these markets. We conducted primary research in nine different countries to get a feel for the Americas, for Europe, and for Asia. So we began 
with qualitative focus groups and we used the findings from our focus groups to um, fine tune a quantitative questionnaire, which was administered to 750 qualified feminine hygiene consumers across each of the nine countries. And, And those countries included the US, the UK, France, Italy, Germany, Mexico, Brazil, China, and India. The women in our survey ranged in age from around 15 to 50. So we were trying to capture the scope of the feminine hygiene market. What we found at the very macro level across all countries and with very little variation was that the average age of menstruation was 12 years, 10 months. The average length period was five days and the average number of products that were used was 12 and a half. And so let me give you an an idea of some of the some of the findings that we learned. We learned that this global market is a very healthy market. The total global feminine hygiene market between 2019 and 2024 is expected to grow 25 percent in those five years from 31 0.6 billion US dollars in 2019 to just shy of $40 billion in 2024. As we look at the countries that we surveyed, we can, we feel confident that China has the largest market for feminine hygiene at about 14 billion US dollars in sales in 2020. But India will continue to be the fastest growing market. So from 2019 to 2024, we expect this market to increase 83% from um, a small-ish base of 0.8 billion US dollars in 2019 to uh, 1.5 billion in uh, 2024. And so while we see less growth in the established markets of Western Europe and North America, Uh, High volume use use there and spending per capita will continue to drive strong markets. You know, for example, in Germany, women use the most products per capita, on average, a little over 500 per year or more than 40 a month, whereas women in Italy spend the most per year on feminine hygiene at about $50 per capita in 2020. As we take a look at the global market, we did the primary research, but we also used some secondary research to kind of flesh out these subjects. And Euromonitor was an important resource for us. And they estimated in 2020 that the feminine hygiene market is really only at about 70% of its potential. So in many areas of the world, yeah, particularly when we look at uh, China or growing markets in Brazil and India, there's a lot of women at this point in time who don't yet buy commercially produced feminine hygiene products. And a lot of that is because they can't quite afford them yet. For instance, you know, I, I mentioned that we we did the uh, focus groups before putting together the quantitative survey. And in this qualitative 
portion of our research. The Indian women that we surveyed and spoke with told us about rural consumers using cotton materials that they would wash and reuse basically because either um, commercial products were not yet available to them where they live or they couldn't yet afford to use them. But we see that as economies improve, as disposable income grows, as more products become available in places where they're less so right now, that women in these rural areas like India will help this industry come closer to meeting the estimated potential of 213 billion additional units for growth over the next some years. So that's kind of what the developing markets can do to contribute to growth in this market. In more highly developed economies, such as the U.S. and Western Europe, there might be a little less room for growth in volume, as most women are already able to buy commercially made fem high products. But these are really large markets, and, and they're wealthier consumers. They represent opportunities for different products for new innovative concepts and new brands to build a healthy business. There's certainly a lot of opportunity for growth, not only with with maybe some some new or or higher price products in in these developed markets, but obviously, I think as we all would anticipate in these developing markets where currently um, many women don't have access to these products or don't have access to a lot of products. And so there's certainly a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, this is for sure. And to Euromonitor's credit, they've kind of looked out a few years at both disposable income growth and at demographics, because where the populations are young and growing, those represent opportunities for market growth. And where the populations have more disposable income, you know, that factor also comes into play. For instance, let's just take a quick look at at disposable income around the world. Women's disposable income over the five years, 2019 to 2024, is projected to grow. Latin America is one place that stands out. Uh, Women's disposable income is projected to more than double in Latin America from about 4,000 U.S. dollars per year in 2019 to around 10. So that's a pretty significant growth. There's also strong growth projected in Asia and in Eastern Europe. And we're looking at, you know, kind of around 28, 29% over that period. In the developed regions of North America, Western Europe, and Australia, these areas women have the highest um, disposable income, ranging from 20,000 US dollars to 40,000. But modest increases are still expected, even in these regions, over the next few years. So that's kind of a snapshot of what's going on with the income side. When we turn and then take a look at the demographics and try to take a look over the next few years on how that will affect the feminine hygiene growth, we see that the African countries are projected to have the largest growth in population of women of menstruation age at over 14% over this five-year period. So combined with a strong projected growth in women's disposable income, this region is one to pay attention to. Value products, distribution plans for the diversity in this continent, 
will be challenges. And marketing focused on educating women on how to use these products and what kind of value they can bring to their lives is going to be important. So Africa is growing, but it does have its business development challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we take a look at the Americas, we can say modest growth, two to four percent in particularly uh, the U.S., Mexico, Canada. And finally, um, yeah, when we take a look at Europe from a demographic perspective, this is where the biggest challenge is, mainly because the market of women in this uh, age group is expected to contract three and a half percent over the time period. But Europe's feminine hygiene market is very well established. And so I think product opportunities lie in reaching consumers with new offerings that meet their changing needs and interests. And we can get a little more specific about that going in our conversation. So I would say when you think about demographics and you think about um, economics, the three takeaways that I would leave with the group this morning would be that with the exception of Africa, market growth will be driven more by growth in women's disposable income than demographics. But they're both important. India will, as I mentioned, have the largest growth rate at 83%. China will continue to be the largest market at 14 billion US dollars. So certainly a lot of opportunity there for both established and and new brands to come in and, and take advantage of, of this growth because it, it's it's going to happen. And there's opportunities to take advantage of new feminine product users, um, as well as potentially take market share from more established brands. That That's for sure. But we can, if you like, we can get a little more specific, maybe about the variety of products being used and how the markets are different and maybe call for a little different market strategy, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah, I'd like to because I, I find what you mentioned uh, about the, the difference between even users and product users in Germany and product users in Italy, as, as far as the price point that they're willing to buy it and the amount of products used, if you're having that much variety in, in countries that are that close to each other, I imagine that you're going to have a, a pretty diverse amount of user preferences and product preferences all over the world then. This is true, but another important factor is cultural preferences. So if we just take a look at Western Europe, just as an example to start with, high tampon use, averaging 20% market share of all them high products. And in high tampon use. Germany, of course, is the largest market for tampon use. Expected to see small declines over the next five years, likely more related to demographics than than product use. In Italy, Mexico, and I will say Brazil as well, we see a lot fewer tampons used. These three are very Catholic countries, and there is some cultural and religious resistance to tampon use. But we're seeing that change slowly. In both Italy and Mexico, tampon use is actually projected to grow somewhat over this five-year time period. So then when we move to, to Asia, tampon use is nascent in China and India, you know, to, as we've talked about, hugely important markets. Tampon market share is at about 0.2% them high products. Yeah. So like very, very small market share. So we've seen cultural resistance, lack of awareness, 
low availability, you know, all combined for that low share rate. However, women in China are expected to shift to greater tampon use in the future, more than doubling their current purchases of tampons in the next five years. And growth is also expected in India, but more as a part of Indian women's overall adoption of commercial feminine hygiene products. So we see, you know, we see cultural differences as well. Very interesting. When we talk about the feminine care and, and menstrual health market overall, you know, we we put out numbers on on products or units, but often, it, you know, we don't dive into the specifics of pads versus tampons versus XYZ. So it's it's interesting. I, I never would have thought that that maybe in more predominantly Catholic countries like Italy, Mexico and Brazil, you may not have high tampon usage. And and I, I, I didn't know that the tampon usage in China and India was, was that low. So that would be really interesting to see how that evolves. It actually, it is already beginning to evolve. And our survey, nearly seven in 10 women in these areas of, of China and India in particular, um, said that they wish they knew more about what feminine hygiene products would work best for them. So in countries in particular with the low tampon use, 85% of them told us they wish they knew more. So there is, it's not just a matter of producing, distributing, and marketing. It's really at the root of, of this market change is education. So we are actually beginning to see companies going out to these markets and have conversations about tampons. In the presentation that I was able to give at Hygienics, I actually had a video clip of the brand Sophie for out of India was the first Indian tampon commercial. And um, so that was one example of messaging from an educational perspective in some of these markets that have the potential to develop a lot. Yeah, and I know we'll we'll dive into that as far as how how we're seeing some brands succeed and, and some additional opportunities in a little yes. bit here. But with all that the the preferences and the variety of preferences combined with the potential growth and increase in education and awareness around certain products, which brands are we seeing succeed and, and why do you think some of these brands are finding success? Yeah, let's take a look. Actually, we can take a, a, a snapshot of each of the nine countries that we surveyed to see who the major brands are and, and what kind of a market share they hold. For instance, in China, Sophie and Space 7 are the top two brands with 21% market share. In India, we have Always and Whisper. And so in, in that, I think you'll begin to see the big major global brands emerge and their brands within some of these countries are a little different. But in India, always whisper and stay free. That's 80, 86% of the market, those three brands. In Brazil, Intimus, always whisper and Sempre Livre, 71% market share. In Mexico, Saba, Cotex and always whisper. 84% market share. In France, Always, Whisper, Vanya, and Nana, 64% market share. In Germany, OB, Always, Whisper, and Carefree combined at 60% market share. In Italy, 
Linus itself is 50, has 53% share. In the UK, Always Whisper, Tampex, and Body Form combined to 65% share. And in the US, we have Always Whisper, U by Kotex, and Playtex at 59% market share. So I think the takeaway here is that in this market, there's a lot of brand loyalty. And I think we see that in, in the brands that we've just talked about. And although there's a high degree of brand loyalty, and that might seem to be a challenge for new brands, but we also learned that all is not lost for new brands. In the research that we did, more than three in four consumers said they almost, okay, operative word almost, always buy the same brand of feminine hygiene. This varies a, varies a little bit by age with the youngest consumers in their first years being more loyal, more out of, I'll, I'll say, logistics issues, not having the money, not having the, the shopping platforms and so forth to make their own choices than those who um, have more experience and have more independence. When we looked across countries, you know, the degree of brand loyalty within the countries varies, but, you know, the top three, four brands are really the market leaders, as we just saw. And we heard from women that many are open to new products. 90% of the women we surveyed said that events in their lives trigger the choice of something new and different. Vacations, wow. yeah, uh, having a child, changing jobs, using a new contraception measure, all of these and others. So that an event in the life can be the reason to try something new. And so we're seeing we're seeing this openness to new products reflected in the success of startups in this market that are really bringing new approaches to products, to packaging, to marketing, to delivery platforms, to customization of orders, to providing information and transparency about um, ingredients, um, to uh, emphasizing natural fibers and health and safety messaging. All of a sudden, we've got this world of products that were basically kind of quiet and behind the scenes, and nobody said said too much about you know about having their having their period. That's uh, all changing now, and it's a really cool thing. So let's just take a couple of examples. Brands such as Real and Cora, um, which is now owned by Procter & Gamble, um, have seen explosive growth in the past few years, kind of turning the market upside down by expanding distribution from direct-to-consumers to online retailers. And now in bricks-and-mortar stores, we're looking at brands that emphasize quality, emphasize natural materials, Emphasize free from ingredients that, you know, those product manufacturers deem are less desirable. They market themselves as lifestyle brands, not as products to take care of your, you know, menstrual bleeding. With offerings beyond just feminine hygiene products and messaging about body positivity, not just about solving that bleeding problem. It's really a different world in the 21st century. And then on top of that, you know, we've got the EU single-use plastics directive influencing this market in a very strong way, stimulating development away from 
uh, synthetic and oil-based raw materials to those which are natural, which are healthier for their skin and which are better within, you know, the waste streams into the environment. So we're seeing all kinds of, of new and different changes in this market that are really very exciting. Yeah, and I, I will, we'll talk a little bit here in a minute about sustainability and all the changes that that's bringing, but it's just very exciting to see all of the new players and, and new entrants in the space, whether they be it be a focus on sustainability or consumer needs or or as you mentioned, the lifestyle brands and not just focusing on providing a product to help with menstruation, but helping with many, many other things that, that can happen throughout the month other than when a, a user is menstruating. So every year, it seems like I'm reading articles just about all these new players with, with different focuses. And obviously, it's a very fast moving market, but also one with a lot of opportunity for growth. And the mention of all the the brand loyalty and and really the the market share being owned by a, a relatively small amount of, of brands, you know, you might think that some people would look at that and say, oh, well, they've they've got the market share. I, I can't compete with that. But it seems like a lot of the brands are actually taking the opposite approaches. Well, there's there's a lot of opportunity to take some market share from some of these bigger brands in, in these different markets. So it'll be really, really exciting to see how the market evolves in 5, 10, 15 years and which brands are are leading the way at that point. Yes, I agree. Thank you for listening to today's episode. In our next episode, we'll continue our discussion with Jane O'Regan by going deeper into consumer preferences, understanding the needs of the different age groups, and learning more about some of the new innovations in the market. If you have not done so, I once again highly encourage all of you to sign up for our Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Every two weeks, we'll notify you of the release of our latest episode, and in our next few newsletters, we'll be sharing a lot of information around the menstrual health market, including a few white papers from Bostic, plus some great content from our guests like Matami and Cotton Inc. So if you want to stay up to date on everything we and our guests know about industry topics like menstrual health, check out the link in the show notes to sign up for our Attached to Hygiene newsletter. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to our guest, Jan O'Regan. Although Jan is retiring from the industry, she will still be on LinkedIn, and you can also connect with her colleague, Megan Holliday, who will be taking over for Jan at Cotton Inc. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.